be messy and complicated and afraid and show up anyway, Glennon Doyle. Hello, I'm Claire Tonti and welcome to Just Make The Thing, a podcast for people who want to start a thing and keep on making it and find it real hard. That's me, by the way. Today I'm joined by Taco Mbuzi, who is a writer, a stand-up comedian, a podcaster and a motivational speaker. She also happens to be deeply thoughtful, full of wisdom about living and working as a creative and just damn right sassy and a little bit kick-ass. Taku grew up in Zimbabwe and ventured alone over to Australia to study architecture when she was just 19. I'd never met her before this interview, but immediately wanted to grab her and be her friend and maybe get my nose pierced as well. (laughs) She gives wonderful advice for those whose thing is to write and just advice generally for overcoming fear and finding the freedom to create what it is you really, really want to. Not what you think you should want to, not what others want you to, but what it is that you are meant to do, what makes your heart sing, what gives you that fuzzy feeling. We also talk politics both here and in Zimbabwe. Parents and mothers, expectations, the changing ideas we both share around feminism and what happens when you take risks, scare yourself and listen. Listen to yourself, listen to the people around you. Just take it all in. Here she is, Taku. Well, hello, Taco Mbuzi. Is that how I say it? Yes. Close? Cool. So I guess my first question to you I wanted to ask, if you could paint me a picture of what your childhood was like in Zimbabwe. Oh, great. Uh, Lots of climbing trees, running around with my cousins, lots of singing in church, lots of family and aunts and swimming and running and playing and food. Mm. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, and yeah, joy. Actually, yeah, lots of joy. Strict parents sometimes, so that wasn't always a joy, but uh, lots, yeah, lots of laughing and playing. Mm. For me, I was in the city, mm. so lots of TV videos, um, Game Boy. Uh. Game Boy, yes. <laughs> yeah, yes. Super Mario was yes. my, my yes. favorite. Yes, me too. And Tetris. Definitely. Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and what's your family like? Uh, so I have, um, so my mum has five kids. I'm the firstborn. Then I've got three brothers and I've got a sister who's 16. And then I've got some half siblings because my dad remarried after they got divorced. And then um, everybody's around the world. So I've got two brothers in Canada, one in L.A., and my sister and my mum in Zimbabwe and I'm here. Yeah. My big family. Yeah. Big, sounds crazy, like- loud family. That's good though, right? That's life, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Yeah. Why did you decide to leave at 19? Because uh, I wanted to study. So I'd gone to, um, you know, this really cool school in Zimbabwe and then it's like, well, you go to uni. Everybody knew that you'd try and get to uni and by that stage things were starting to get a bit, I don't know, but I don't know, there were vibes around politically and things like that. And so my parents said, okay, well, if we can afford to send you overseas, we'll do that. And so I applied to unis um, in the States and South Africa and the UK and Australia. And then I got through to Australia to study architecture. And my mum was having a baby about a month before I was meant to leave oh. for uni. So I just worked out. Perth worked out and I ended up in Perth. Mm. And I could not wait to leave Zimbabwe and leave my parents. Really? Yeah. Why? Okay, you're 19 and you're living with your parents. Who wants to do that? So I was, I was ready for the freedom. I was ready. Yeah. 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 Busting to get here and. Yeah. And, and within leave. a month, I pierced my nose. <laughs> <laughs> pierced your belly button. Yep. A month yeah. After that, my belly button. I was. Yeah. 
everything that you can imagine once you know you're free and you're free in another country oh it was amazing yeah yeah what is um different about here versus Zimbabwe hmm that's a good question the food for starters the way it feels and the way it smells the Things like even the music, like you walk down the street, there's always music or there's people laughing. It's, it's I don't know, it just feels like a, a different place, a sense of community as well. Everybody kind of knows everybody or, you know, you can speak freely to people in, in your language. Um, I'm not saying that Australia is not like that, but it's just different when you speak another language or you have a different culture and, and yeah, and then, I mean, economically, I mean, not that I would love talking about politics or anything, but, it, you know, it's a different political climate and, you know, it's sort of easier to get jobs and work here than it is back there. And Why is that? More. Why is that, do you think, the difference politically? I don't want to get too far into this, but I just oh, find girl, it so how fascinating. Much time do you have? Well, I know, I know, just for people who've never really heard much about Zimbabwe other than that it's in, that it's in Africa, mm-hmm. politically at the moment... What's kind of happening there and what is it like for young people trying to get work over there and all those sorts of things and for women particularly? Yeah, okay. So if you don't know much about Zimbabwe, essentially we had the same president for about 37 years and only just last November he got ousted. And so what happened in the last, you know, three decades was that we just had you know, same systems that weren't always great for everyone. So in terms of getting the com- um, the company, the country back on its feet and just making it, you know, economically fair for a lot of people, there was just a lot of things that happened to the point where, um, for example, my dad had, you know, started up his own businesses and all of that. He, he went bankrupt when the economy collapsed um, sort of early 2000s or mid, mid-2000s. And so things like that affected a lot of people. People. So all of a sudden people don't have jobs. So there's, you can't get work. You can't, you know, you can have all the degrees up the wazoo, but if you can't get a job, then you're sort of restless and, you know, people frustrated. So people start, you know, hustling and, you know, the black market comes out and just, so there, there are lots of things that over, over time just compound to create a system where, um, yeah, it's harder to get a job, especially if you're a young person. And yeah, so for me, what I found interesting is being able to talk about politics. Uh, so it's only last November when I I and lots of Zimbabweans around the world felt like we're now free to speak our minds about what was happening there. Because before, it wasn't always safe. People might disappear or people might just you know, not be there anymore. What do you mean? Like people would come into their homes and take them? Sometimes. I mean, it it depends how politically active you are, but it's Mm. just that, I mean, you hear about it all the time, you know. It's not just Zimbabwe, other countries where sometimes if you speak out against, you know, the leader, then, you know, they don't always like that. (laughs) So there's ways of making you not do that. So as a country in, in general, Zimbabweans, weren't always very vocal, like, oh, this is crap, or we want better. And so what's happened now is since that since that last leader was ousted, now we've got a new president and we just had elections. And th- right now there's petitions around, was this a free and fair election? Who should rightfully be the president? So there are all these conversations around who is the rightful leader of the country. And then flip that right now in Australia, we're having the same discussions with, you know, our politicians here, you know, Dutton and, and, and Turnbull. And I've always found Australian politics interesting 
because of the freedom that everybody can just call BS if it's BS. You can tweet Malcolm Turnbull and say, dude, like, I'm not feeling that. And you're okay. I mean, nothing really is going to happen no, to you. Yeah, no. So I think that's kind of the space that I'm swimming in at the moment is that now we're free to speak our minds. It's just like, oh, what do I actually want to say? How do I feel? What do I think? Mm. But I always say I'm an artist, so my politics is in my art. That's where I just channel all this you know, energy, anger, frustration, inspiration, and that's where I try and find hope in everything I do. Yeah, that's what you do when you're a creative person, right? You soak everything up and then regurgitate it yeah, in whatever form. Yeah, like super captain, planet superpowers kind yeah. of vibes, yeah. <laughs> when did you realise you were an artist? Uh, I think I always have been. Yeah, I always liked to perform, was always wearing wigs and dolling up and being a performer. And then started really kind of claiming it in the last couple of years where I've gone, yes, I'm an artist. I write and I speak and I perform and I do this. I am an artist. I'm a creative mind. It is just in my soul. It's ingrained. And mm. Is it easier to be an artist here than it is in Zimbabwe? I think in terms of being able to live off your art or live off being a creative person, I think it is here. Mm. Yeah, sadly so. Yeah. Mm. Is the art that you create and what you write heavily influenced by the way that you grew up in Zimbabwe or the music and culture from there? Or is it something that you kind of soak up wherever you're living at the moment and, and express in that way? I've gotten to a point where I'm just Taku. So I'm Taku who has, you know, all these elements, my Zimbabweanness, my Australianness, my artiness, my architecture vibeness, my weird and wacky comedies, whatever, all these different things that make me up as a person so I when I come out to the world I'm just Taku and so with the stuff that I'm writing or creating it's coming out of that and so it's just a mishmash of everything and mm -hmm. and I have you know some proper weird and wacky ways of thinking about things and then other times I'm just yeah so it's a whole mix of everything so mm -hmm. and it depends where I'm speaking as well what what inspires that particular writing or that story yeah, and the group it's a bit of, of people. Everything. Yeah, yeah, that you the audience. It's a bit of everything. Yeah, because you speak for sort of young people in like crowds of young people, but also in other settings as well. Mm -hmm. What is the sort of message that you most love to talk about when you're up on stage in front of a group of young people? Uh, I think for everyone, it's it's that there's hope. You're not crazy. It's this is not the end of the world. Like you can. Yeah, you, you'll be fine. We'll all be fine. There's hope. Just cling on, hang on, hang in there. <laughs> you know, we might not know what we're doing, but it's okay. We just we just have to keep going. Yeah, Glennon Doyle yeah. says a thing that I say to myself all the time, that we can do hard things. We can. Right? And the hard things, that's what, you know, that's what grows us. Mm. It's horrible sometimes, the hard things. Oh, my gosh. They can just be soul-crushing everything but... There's always that glimmer of hope and that glimmer of light. And, yeah, so even with the stand-up, everything, it's always like, oh, my gosh, listen to this crap that I went through, but isn't it funny because now I'm okay, I can talk about it and laugh about it. So if you have crap in your life, have a laugh and then onwards. So that's always my same message. Yeah, we'll all get there in the end. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How do you deal with fear? Do you have fear? Oh, all the time. All the time. <laughs> How do you not let it stop you from writing or getting up on stage or doing stand-up? Because that stand-up to me is one of the scariest things you can it do. It is the scariest thing. <laughs> and that, that was exactly why I did it, because I've got three brothers who do stand-up as well. So I've been doing all this talking in schools and getting up on stage and telling kids how awesome I am and doing the whole motivational speaking kind of vibe. And then my brothers were doing stand-up, and I just looked, looked at them and went, 
you know, I can do that. And I, I, I didn't think I could. And so it was a fear of mine, you know, making people laugh on command. And then I tried it. And the more I just faced that fear of watching those jokes land and nobody smiles. Oh, it's, 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 so, it's so confronting, but it's so good because then you learn and you write better and you perform better. Or even you get surprised by what, what people will laugh at. So it counteracts the fear of not being laughed at. It might just be your body language that works. Or So yeah, I always jump into the fear and I journal every day. So if I have something that's freaking me out, I'll write it out and say, what is it that's freaking me out about this thing? Another thing that I've started doing is um, looking at the fear of scarcity. I don't know if you've heard of that expression. So fear of scarcity is when people are scared that there's not enough. So there's not going to be enough attention, money, airtime, funding, grants, you know, light, whatever it is. And so sometimes that's what makes people more um, fearful and small, competitive, selfish, eager, all of that horrible stuff. So sometimes when I'm feeling confronted by my fear, I go, what is it in this that's making me feel uncomfortable? Where's my ego in this? What happens if I take my ego out? What about, oh, I don't like that person or they're making me feel a bit, you know, unsure about my skills. What is it about them that I like or that I could work with them? And yeah, so sometimes it's, yeah, it's trying to be a grown up and processing those feelings. Put your big girl pants on and soldier on. Take the higher ground. What does Michelle Obama say? Go high when they they go go low. Sometimes I'm like, I can't be bothered. (laughs) No! I just want to sit and and say that the life is hard and everything sucks. Yeah. And also, um, I have a best friend who that is my go-to person. If I'm having a freak-out moment that's real and raw and instant right now, I will audio note her on WhatsApp and I'll say, babe, this is bullshit I can't do this okay and then just spit it out so sometimes even having someone I can tell so her or my partner about these fears then I don't feel so crazy so they catch me which is also really amazing it is having those people in your life to be able to go this is terrible and it sucks and I feel like an imposter and I'm never going to do this and it's all terrible and then once it's out there and you look at it you can go oh actually I'm just being a bit nuts or I'm tired or hormonal or maybe I need some chocolate or you know everything yes tired (laughs) hormonal and need chocolate yes Yes. yeah all those things eat food and you'll feel better yeah Mm. what would be your number one tips for someone who is a writer uh I would say be kind to yourself I've learned a lot about being a writer in the last year. Uh, So what I found for me is sometimes I'm really structured with my writing. So I'll go, right, I'm going to write every single day and I'll commit to that and I can do it. And then other times I just don't feel like writing and I don't feel inspired to do it. So I don't. So I'll read or I'll do something else. But what I realize is I'm actually writing in my brain. So I'm writing like there's a little writer's room at the back of my head. So that's where a lot of those ideas swim and kind of come together. And then I might just sleep on it. And then the next day it, I just smash, like it just all comes out. And I've, I've read lots of different books where people say, no, just get into a routine, force yourself to do it. And I think it just depends on you as a writer. So it comes back to you being kind to yourself and knowing yourself and what, what feels right. Uh, so I think it depends on what you're writing as well, just to, to know yourself. And there's no rules. So, mm. yeah, so that, that's what I'd say. Just be kind to yourself. Don't mm. force it. Oh, my gosh. Don't yeah. force it because you can tell when it's forced. You mm. can tell. When it's not coming from that 
authentic oh god we sound like Oprah but authentic yeah. spot yeah that's right or the flip side as well which is sometimes what I do is just write it so if you've got an idea and it doesn't feel quite right then just spit it out so write it out and then come back to it as well because then you can at least you, you feel like you've started something and then you've got something to come back to mm. and you can look at it with new eyes so it's it's a bit of everything mm. it's everything yeah. Have structure, don't. You know, read, don't. I don't know. Talk to other writers, don't. Ugh. It's everything. <laughs> it's, everything. It's, kind of, it's really <laughs> in the doing, isn't it, in the end? At some point, you just have to start writing, mm-hmm. right? However it is that you get there, mm-hmm. you just have to start doing it and keep doing it, which is really the mantra of this podcast. I love it. I love <laughs> You know, mantra. you just start just something make and keep the thing. it. Right, make, make it. Who write cares it. if it's shit? I know one, one of the guys who writes here, Alistair tremblay Birchall, who does another podcast called Doing the Think Tank, he's a TV writer and comedy writer, mm-hmm. and he says often you just write it out and then you mine it for the good bits because most of it will be shit. Mm-hmm, and then you mm-hmm. take away all the good bits, you find the little bits that you don't hate, and then you build on it mm-hmm. from there and keep kind of piecing it all together. Yeah. What about your stand-up? How do you approach writing that? Oh, it's so delicious. Every, everything's a joke sometimes. Um, what I found is if I have a stand-up gig coming up, it's like there's a switch in my brain that then goes, oh, now I'm listening to what am I seeing around my world, what's current, what's new, and then I'll just write bullet points in my, in my phone. So as, as something comes to me, I'll just write these bullet points. And so I might have, I don't know, a week or two weeks to prepare. And by that stage, I might have 40 bullet points. So then I'll go back in and I'll look and see, oh, what kind of themes are coming up? What's kind of funny? And then I'll thread them together into a spot or a segment. And then the rest of the time, I might just throw in other jokes that I know have worked. And then sometimes I literally improvise. Which is kind of, yeah, which is fun because also when you throw things to the audience and then they, they say something back, then you can riff off that. And, yeah, so I, I do love the writing stand-up thing. It's, it's sometimes, yeah, sometimes not easy because I find I also have to practice. You know, I have to practice sometimes when I'm threading those things so that I can feel comfortable in the flow of it. So you might have some really good jokes, but delivery as well. It's like, how does it feel when I'm talking about this subject and then moving into this? What am I going to do? And yeah, so that's also a a different kind of writing experience, which I like. How do you practice it? So sometimes I have to time myself as well. So if if I know I've got a 10-minute spot, then I need to know that I've got enough material for it and just also stretch out the you know the spaces so i'll just practice in my house just be like (laughs) just walking around telling a joke yeah Yeah. just i don't know test out how it feels how does it sit how do you feel making those Mm. jokes how's it sitting and sometimes you write them and then you say them out loud and you're like oh that's not funny (laughs) that's not funny at all (laughs) what's some of your best jokes like what are some of the ones that you're really proud of you don't have to do the whole joke but like what's the content that you're you know, proud Claire, of. that's almost like saying, tell me a joke. And you know, all comedians <laughs> hate that line, I tell know, me a joke. I know. Prove to me you're funny. <laughs> um, honestly, it's so mixed. It's so mixed. So the, uh, the last one that I, um, that I did that I was talking about sexting, 
and how I'm a writer. And so I'm very much about, I like words to be spelled correct. And, you know, I was, my partner sent in, he had a typo in, in the sext. And I, and I was like, what do you do when that happens? Because my writer brain went, I really want to correct this. But then we're in a moment. What do I, yeah, so stuff like that. I mean, I'm not on stage delivering that. But yeah, I, I talk about relationships. I talk about my mother. Jokes about my mother always land as well, especially with the ladies. So that was also interesting is that sometimes I don't know where my jokes will land. So they're yeah. funny at different times to different people, which is what I love. That's the yeah. best. Yeah. It's so good. Mm. Yeah. Mm. What is it about your mum that you think is funny that people relate to? The fact that no woman wants to turn into her mother. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, we love them, but there's some things that we've just gone mad, like really. And then you catch yourself being like that way or you catch, you know, certain mannerisms or phrases. And with my mom, um, because she's really churchy, she's, you know, sweet Zimbabwean woman, very churchy. Um, she's got a great sense of humor, but she's she's very um, she's more conservative. And my dad was the wacky, crazy one. So my mom pops out these five kids. All of us love comedy. All of us have. Have, you know, weird ways of thinking. And so, of course, you know, the stuff that my mom would say say to us, you know, growing up, whatever, it's it's the best comedy fodder. So four of us are off on stage doing it. And my little sister, she's 16. She's always sending us videos and impersonating my mom. And it's it's just the best. It's the best. So, yeah, when I when I share that, a lot of people can relate to, you know, mothers. We love them. Yeah. We love them. Yeah. What would she say? She laughs. That's the thing. It's like, you know, when you make fun of someone and they know they're like that, they kind of secretly love it. So she yeah. laughs, but she knows that. That's what she's yeah. really like. She knows. Yeah. Yeah. Is she it the knows. way she tells you off or is that it tells you to do things that's quite funny or could you do an example? Um, I'm just putting you on the spot, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, one of the jokes that I did or that I've done a little bit is how she came over to Australia to visit me. And because of the church she goes to, they don't drink and they don't eat pork. And so we went out for dinner and I ordered bacon and I had a glass of wine. And so (laughs) it was just the way that she was just giving me side eyes and death glares throughout the whole evening whilst I'm swilling my cab sav. And (laughs) and just that interaction of her then later saying, "Mm, okay, well, you, you drink that, you do it. I mean, it's your life you know that kind of passive aggressive yes that kind of stuff and so when you're on stage and you're impersonating an African mother and you're doing the, the eyes and everything people yeah people find it funny so yeah yeah, yeah. and I guess we're really relatable too right because I know I can totally relate with my mum in the same way yeah. that they don't say directly what they what they want to tell you it's all kind of implied oh it's very, yeah it's, it's implied and so then I'll catch myself saying to my partner um we had this the other time I said to him oh no no don't wash the dishes I'll do it <laughs> you know what I mean like, no, it's like exactly, and then yeah. he's like oh no no but I can do it and I was like no 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 I will do it. So then I, I you know, wash the dishes and I'm like kind of slamming cl- it down, <laughs> cracking yes. them. And then he said, okay, you need to tell me how you want them done rather than sort of, you know, be upset at me or be all passive aggressive kind of. And I was like, oh, okay, okay. So, yeah, just examples like that where I catch myself. Yeah, you so the, the, whole, the whole thing about, the, about life really is that we do 
slowly turn into our mothers, yeah. really. Unless we're really vigilant, they <laughs> pop through. And sometimes that's wonderful. There's like, I love my mum and there's great, great things about it. And then there's also things where you go, oh, no. Yeah. How happening. do you catch yourself? Like, or what aspects of her? Oh, the you? same. The passive aggressive kind of stuff, you know, walking the door and be like, oh, well, the floors, I guess, oh, I'll just do the floors. I'll just, I'll do the floors. These floors aren't going to clean themselves. Yeah, exactly. And that whole, like, martyrdom sort of thing. I yeah. And, and I wonder sometimes too, it's, I think women are really good at doing that at almost relishing being martyrs. Oh, yeah. Being oh. like, well, I'll just take on everything, everything. because yeah. I'm so busy and everything, everyone, no one else could do it the way that I mm-hmm. could do it. Mm-hmm. And so we sort of have this message for ourselves that it's all about and the more work that we take on, the busier we are, the better we are as a person and not and no one can, else is as good or yeah. something. And then Strange we don't want like the that. help when it's offered. No. As well. it's, it's and then strange, all the yeah. wheels fall off and then you end up cr- like bursting into tears or something because yeah. you're exhausted because you've taken on too much because you think you have to be perfect Mm, all mm, the time. mm -hmm. What do you think about the movement now of women, I guess the Me Too movement, but also just women in general having more of a voice now? How have you found that as an artist? I love it. I love being a chick. I love it. I love um, expressing myself. I love being around other women and I love meeting people. So I'm, I'm really excited to see more women speaking up for themselves about the things that they're interested in. Mm. I think personally, I'm really finding it a delicious time to watch content, art, films, music, books, whatever made by new voices or women that I hadn't really seen before. And not just women, just all these other, um, you know, underrepresented groups or communities just popping up. So it's it's really quite refreshing and, and inspiring. Sometimes I just sit and my brain is full and I just go, wow, okay. And then, so speaking back to that fear of, wow, there's so many people now speaking up, like, where does my voice fit in all of this? You know, sometimes you have those moments, but it's also about celebrating that everybody's voice is important. And so even for the men that we have in our in our communities and in the world, it's not to now say their voices are less important, but it's, it's quite good to see how those conversations are, are happening to invite, um, you know, more collaboration, more understanding. And I'm learning a lot. There's so much I had no idea about. Mm. I feel so green about a lot of issues. I'm finding I'm reading a lot more. I'm curious. I'm asking questions, you know, confronting, you know, other fears and things that I, I wasn't even aware of. And, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting time. Mm. Mm. What are some of the issues that you found that are new to you or that you hadn't thought about before? Well, this whole thing around feminism, you know, it's just a word that was never really in my vocab in the last long time. I just never thought of it, never spoke about it. I just, it just, I didn't really tap into that. So yeah, just trying to unpack what that looks like, feels like, language around it. So you recommended the Guilty Feminist podcast to me yesterday and I listened to a few episodes and it was really eye-opening how women speak about that topic and then I'm still kind of going oh what does that mean to me and reading up about intersectionality as well within that and 
just all these beautiful words. They're words, and I love words. It's like, oh, what does this mean? What does this person say it means? And so to me, it's it's just an interesting time of growth, research, learning, understanding, questioning, confronting, yeah, all of those things. Mm. Absolutely. I feel completely the same. And, I mean, I would have always... I don't even think I necessarily identified myself as a feminist mm. growing up, even though I really believe in men and women being equal and women's voices being out there. But I think I just, in the childhood I had, I never kind of had the notion that women were behind the eight ball. I kind of mm. felt I had the luxury of being in Australia where I just felt like, well, it's all equal now, it's fine. Mm. I don't have to battle because everything's equal. And if I want to do something that a guy's doing, I'll just go do it and everything's fine. And so it's only in the last few years and and listening to shows like The Guilty Feminist and even just watching what's happening politically, you know, Trump in the White House and Mm -hmm. all of those things and also becoming a mother and then suddenly seeing that, Mm -hmm. yes, the career progression that I had and all my friends had seemed to be going equally along with the guys in my life. But then all of a sudden a lot of us have had kids and suddenly we're out of the workforce and then Mm -hmm. you suddenly see what happens when women are the primary caregivers and then their their money, that they're not earning as much money as their partners anymore and then the opportunities that are afforded to them when they once they become a mother are kind of curtailed and that whole discussion and then mm-hmm. thinking about how my mother grew up and her beliefs and then I like I questioned my husband's mother and she lost her job when she got married because she worked for the public service um, in the government and at the time it was a policy that once you were married you no longer could have a job so she lost all her superannuation and then you know and she's 70 this year so it's not that long ago yeah Yeah, I wanted to ask you from your perspective growing up in Zimbabwe too because I've done a little bit of reading into what it's like for women in that community too was feminism is feminism something that's alive there in Zimbabwe now you know what it's really hard for me to answer at the moment because I'm not I'm not even sure I'm still trying to understand that for myself and as you were speaking I think one other thing that I've had to confront is the fact that my experience, my my own experience is so different to a lot of other people who look like me. So so I grew up in Zimbabwe. I, I grew up in a middle-class suburb. I went to private school my whole life. We had drivers. We had a security guard. My parents were not politically affiliated. They were entrepreneurs. My dad um, worked as a chemical engineer for BP and Shell for like 20 years. My mom's trained as a psychologist and um, um, she's a you know organizational behavioral consultant. So they were both educated. They both ran their own businesses. So they built up what we had. So I grew up being told I could be anything I wanted to be and do anything I wanted to do. And then growing up in Zimbabwe, I went to school with lots of kids who were mixed. So we had as many white kids as black kids in our school. Like one of my best friends was this white girl called Janine. And, you know, we... I just I knew no different. And then what I did know was the difference in class in terms of growing up in the city, private school, nice suburb, and we'd go to the village, and then you you would see how real life was for people. But my parents were always about helping others. So I think probably the area that I probably saw the divide or the difference between the powers of men and women was in our church. So the church was very much like men sit over here, women sit over here, and... And also just watching how 
men are revered and how we greet men and how we need to sit a certain way and how you need to look after your husband and just all those kinds of conversations. I always knew, I always knew that the man is, it's God, your husband. No, no, it's God, your husband's mother, then your husband, <laughs> then your children and stuff. So I, I always knew those those hierarchies. Then I come to Australia and, you know, I go to UWA, I'm at a nice uni, I'm doing architecture. So again, my circle of friends weren't necessarily um, poor African refugees, Mm -hmm. for example. So I also was still very disconnected to that. I didn't know that in Zim. I didn't really experience it when I first landed in Australia. But then through a lot of the work I was doing in the community, then I start to see that, oh, there's lots of different you know, representations of Africa, inverted commas, in Australia. So what does that experience look like? And then getting to a point now where I'm really recognizing that I cannot speak for all African Australians. I can only speak from my experience. And that's very different to someone who's had to come here, you know, un, you know, f- straight fresh from war or something. Mm-hmm. Very different experiences. And then understanding that within African culture and just having that sort of patriarchal vibe in general and then fitting that back into what is now the feminist movement in Australia, the US and just seeing some of those clashes come out or just seeing those things and observing from afar. I'm not personally experiencing them but then yeah, seeing this rise of women saying things haven't been fair I haven't, you know, it's a it's a part of discovery at the moment mm. yeah. And isn't that huge because I think I, in my head too, am thinking about, I, I lived in just in Tanzania for six months oh, in a village over there you? teaching. I did, yeah, um, with my husband. And so, yeah. but even, and having that small window into, um, you know, one African country, I think Australians tend to lump Africa as a whole into one notion. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes you make all these assumptions about someone when you meet them based on kind of what you've seen through World Vision or what mm. you've seen through the news or Sudanese refugees or mm. um, film. And obviously Africa is, you know, a continent of 50 countries and within each country so much complexity. Even now I think as you grow older you start to see how much you can assume about someone mm-hmm. based on what they look like, based on where they come from, based on their education or background, and you have absolutely no idea actually what their life was like and you can have no idea what someone else who grew up in the same town as you what their life was like I know that in Melbourne I was privileged to grow up in the very similar home to you mm-hmm. and and we had a really largely kind of social justice bend and we were very a very catholic home but even then I I can't understand what it would have been like if I'd grown up in a violent household if mm-hmm. I'd grown up going to a school where there weren't as many resources I didn't go I went to a private school mm-hmm. you know if you grew up in commission flats if your family mm-hmm. had broken down if you know you end up on the street and then what is your life in that way mm-hmm. so yeah it's about listening isn't it now really? it is it is but mm. it's it's you know listening is very intentional it's very intentional so even how you're talking about Africa having 50 countries, it's actually got 55. And so, oh, sorry. No, 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 it's okay. I'm not saying that to, to say, oh, you're wrong. No, it's, it's because people don't even know that South Sudan is the 55th country in Africa. So it's a new country that only came to be, to exist as a country recognized 
uh, I don't know how many years ago, but it's, it's, it's pretty new. So even how South Sudanese people talk about their community, their country, the things that they're going through, I'm still learning about that. I can't even comment about that stuff. And so then you, you see what's happening in the news over here and it's like, oh, you know, what do I come back to? What can I have or say or do? It's compassion and listening and learning and just trying to understand how I can um, be honest with myself if I don't know stuff, but also what do I feel comfortable saying? How am I honoring those people? How am I supporting them or maybe their artwork or the way that they want to tell their stories? And I think that's that's probably the thing that I'm also trying to push out in all the work that I'm doing, especially then with young people, is what story do you want people to know? Because people don't know. They're going to assume what's out there already. So write and tell the story you want people to know. And then how do we share that? And and I just find art. I always come back to art. Like, you know, inspire us with something. Like, tell us. You know, there, there is a space for activism, obviously, and there's, there's a space for policy, people lobbying for that. There's a space for, you know, protesting. But there's also such an amazing space for art, art to change and inspire. And sometimes people don't even know how to write those stories. So even for me, it's taken me years to get to a point where I'm like, oh, I think I kind of know what stories I want to tell. But that was such a hard process to get through. So that's sort of the space I'm also sitting in is listening to, to the stories people are telling me about themselves, but also challenging them back. What can you share with us that shows us your world, but also helps us help you or walk with you? Mm. What does that look like? Mm. Mm. Tell me about the high teas. The high teas, oh, they just make me so happy. Um, yeah, so one of the things that's been really tough with everything that's happened in Zimbabwe is a lot of people have lost their jobs and people have died. And so there's just this group of mothers, mine included, who are just kind of like eh, a bit, you know, uninspired and, and feeling sometimes hopeless and helpless. And I got to a point as well where I was trying to reassert my own boundaries and you might understand this as in fact women understand this like we're so good at helping others and giving out and our, it's our first instinct to help somebody else I'll give you 500 bucks but wait a minute I'm only left with 50 and I need to pay this and that or whatever so I grew up a lot with with that um maybe I shouldn't say grew up but when I moved to Australia I, I've always felt like I needed to help my family back home so I spent a lot of time sending money and all of that stuff, but it's like a Band-Aid for a situation where, you know, it's hard. So I started sort of looking at what I wanted to build for my life, my career, and part of that was working out what boundaries I needed, and part of that was also challenging people to start to fight for themselves as well, to remove that need for dependency, whether it's financial or emotional. And I realized with my mom she's not excited about something. So I'm like, mama, what are your hobbies? What, what are you doing? What's a hobby? And she couldn't tell me what a hobby was. And yet everything, every conversation is like, oh, we're surviving. Oh, I'm praying for this. Oh, this and that. And it was always like, oh, such a hard thing. And I realized my mom didn't have any friends. So then I went, okay, what would cheer my mom up? I know my mom loves tea. So at this point in time, it was sort of November when all the politics was happening and the ousting of the last leader was going on. And I said, oh, if I could take my mum out for a cup of tea and a cake, I know she'd love that. That is her thing. She has a sweet tooth. 
So then I thought, okay, I'll do it. And then I went, oh, but I'm, I know she's not the only mum who feels like that. So let me ask if my friends' mums want to come and we'll just crowdfund to get our mums together to have a cup of tea and some cake. And, yeah, it was amazing. We did it and we had, like, these 50 women, widowed, unemployed, some of them, a lot of them are kids living overseas. And, yeah, it was pretty special because... Like, I just haven't heard my mom that excited in such a long time over a cup of tea and meeting other women and just being told you're okay. There's so much love from overseas. And for me, it was a simple thing to invest in her mental health over a cup of tea. So one of my fears was coming out and telling the world that, hey, I'm in Australia. My life seems pretty put together, but my mom is struggling. She has nothing and no one. And even my brothers were like, oh, I don't know if I want to support that publicly because it's like that shame thing of having to admit things aren't good. And then when I did it, there was just so much love and so much support. It was just such a simple thing. It was like 20 bucks or 30 bucks. And, oh, oh, just... Yeah, just the joy of all the mums and then the joy of the people whose mums went was like, there's something in that. So this year, I want to try and do that again, but maybe do something with comedy, just something to make them laugh. Again, it's like, what can I do that helps my mum? But I know it's not just my mum. So then, yeah, if my mum's happy, then I'm happy. Mm. And if your mum's happy, then I'm happy. And if our mums are happy, then, yeah, everybody's happy. Mm. I don't know. <laughs> no, you are getting all emotional then. I know, sorry. No, because there's something about, I think, your mum particularly and and what women go through. I mean, not and I mean, men go through so much as well, but women sort of often carry all of that emotional baggage and the worry for their children. It mm-hmm. never ceases. And then the idea of her being a professional and yes. then things changing for her and then how and you not being able to be there all the time and mm. yeah I can imagine something like that is just it's something so simple right it's so simple but, yeah but can be overlooked just that little that idea of having a cup of tea and a cake and being able to laugh and talk and it's not about trying to fix bigger global problems exactly but maybe starting small in yeah. that way yeah. yeah. Oh, that's such an incredible idea. I love that. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. I'm definitely, you know, once I've set it up again, because, yeah, it's just, it's just such a simple thing. And I think this issue around mental health in Australia is something that really I care about when you hear about the suicide rates. And, and I remember first hearing them going, I don't understand. Like, life is so good here in Australia. Why? Why? What is happening? So starting to see those parallels around people not talking or sharing or feeling like they can't talk and share with people mm-hmm. is why I like this thing around building communities and building communities that can be vulnerable together mm. because that's the shame thing. Who wants to say, hey, I've got three degrees, I've got a master's, but I'm sitting at home twiddling my thumbs because I can't find a job. I feel like shit because my kids have to look after me. And this, and like, nobody wants to stand up and say that. But if you create a space where they, they kind of know without knowing and you help just breed that support network, then those are those little things that can help people have agency again or spark something that goes, oh, maybe we could do this together. And and then that's what I was saying as well. There are lots of organizations doing amazing things in Africa where they come in and they do all the practical things and water and then this and that. 
But I'm like, no, but it's it's not just the water, you know, it's the friendships, it's the yeah, the connection, the connection. That, that I'll hold your hand, I'll yeah. look at you, I'll talk to you, not as someone that needs something, but as someone who's a peer of mine who I want to laugh with or yeah. share a joke with or mm. channel some energy into that. Get some self-care happening. <laughs> yes. Don't you think? Yes. Um, how do you give yourself self-care? Like what do you do to look after your mental health? Quiet time. Every day I have quiet time in the morning. I journal um, I pray, I talk to my friends, but a lot of it is quiet time. So I read a book called Quiet, I think. Mm. Have you read it? Yeah. And you know how they do all those questions? And I found out I'm an extroverted introvert. And I was, what? <laughs> what do you mean I'm an introvert? And I am. I love my quiet time. I love being on stage, performing, but before and after, I need to have me time to process, to think about. And that is my way to self-care. And then other times I have this burger and chips thing that I like to do. If I just <laughs> feel like a burger, I will take myself out for a burger and I will just enjoy it. I just I just do what I feel like I want to do. Mm, guilt-free. Guilt-free. It is the best thing ever. <laughs> The best. <laughs> Have you had bestest? To... <laughs> the bestest. I oh, love burger. Oh. Uh, I did that yesterday, actually. Oh. I just, I did. So. But have you ever battled with that guilt? Do you battle with that? Or are you just like, I'm enjoying this, that's it, and you haven't ever had to kind of feel guilty about taking time out for myself? Yeah. Um, I used to. Not so much these days. I'll have moments where I might sit on the couch the whole day and watch TV, and I call it research because you know. I'm, <laughs> writing TV stuff. It's totally research. Research. (laughs) And then I'll feel guilty, like, oh, I really should finish that script. And then other days I've I've just learned to give myself that space because when I want to, like, do something or finish something, I will finish it. I know I'm like that. So then I know, oh, okay, well, I can get to that point. So right now, okay, I'll just be free. I'll just enjoy myself. It's okay. I love that. Definitely. What are you working hard on at the moment? What's your uh, current thing? It feels thing? like everything. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Life, surviving, being yes. taku. But what's, what's your set of projects that you're working on at the moment? Uh, the main things are one is a children's TV series that I'm developing and the other one is a young adult's novel that I'm working on. So writing two stories and, yeah, that's what's keeping me busy. So I, I formed a production company in April so that I can be able to produce my own stuff. Oh, cool. Which is it's called Chaga, which in my language means search or look for or seek. And so, yeah, just mainly focused on building that up and doing all this stuff, you know, business plans, which are such a joy. They actually are now, I should say that, you know, sorting out all the admin-y, accounting-y stuff, also getting all my pitch documents together, learning, meeting people. So that's, yeah, that's what's keeping me on my toes at the moment. And writing. Just constantly Just, writing. Not, not constantly, but mostly. <laughs> Just chipping away at it yeah, between burgers away. and it's going to the movies. Day, but yes, and writing in my brain and then meeting people. 
So a lot of it has been now starting to go and meet people like story consultants or people who can give me, um, I guess, insights into their worlds, which inform some of the characters that I'm trying to write in my, in my stories. Yeah, it's fun. It is, yeah. it is fun. But your brain gets full very quickly, which is why I was saying sometimes I have to, I might sit with someone for four hours and they tell me about their, their pocket, their world, their community. And I can't go and write straight away. I have to sit with it. And then when I go to write, you know, these gems just come out and it's, yeah, it's amazing. Mm, it's amazing. Wow. Yeah. I hadn't heard about that before. So you, so you find people who are similar to characters that you're writing about and then you interview them. Is that what it's like? Kind of. So, for example, with this kids' TV show, I've got different kids. And in my mind as the storyteller, I go, well, this is the main character. So she's a young um, African-Australian girl. She's, like, sassy. She's whatever. And that's inspired by my lived experiences and even my sister's. But then I go, but she's interacting in this world with all these different people. And I'm not necessarily you know, well-versed in this. I, I don't know what it's like to be a young, I don't know, Asian guy. You know, I don't know what that's like. So who can I ask? Who can I say, hey, can I just sit and ask what this is like? And also, if I decide, you know, I need more more help or if I need another writer, would you, you know, step in and would you like to, you know, collaborate and that kind of thing? So that's what I've been loving is going out and having these conversations and I, and I write notes or I listen. I just listen to the sense of their story and the sense of their vibe or the sense of that experience. And I'd like to think I'm very intuitive and my gift is discernment. So I can, I can read and feel things that then when I'm now back and writing dialogue, I'm like, oh, it feels like this is how it would be. And then when I go back to that person and say, does this sound authentic or does this sound kind of real to you? And they go, oh, yeah, yeah. Or I would say it like this. Mm. Yeah, it's yeah, it's pretty cool. That's really cool. Yeah. I've learned something. <laughs> oh, yeah, writers did that, which sounds oh. probably ridiculous, but I just didn't know. Why do you think it's important to have a diverse range of voices from different backgrounds and walks of life? Turn on mainstream TV in Australia. If you can see someone who looks like me, then we're good. If you can see or hear a voice that's like me in any shape, form, just being there, not necessarily talking about social justice or whatever, just being there, then we're good. But at the moment, we're not good. Mm. Why, do, why do we need it? Why do we, why need, do we it? need it? Because it's real. That's what's real. You know, we can't paint a picture of what's not what's not on the ground. Like you and I sitting in the studio together. This is amazing to me. Do you know what I mean? Like to me, I just like your vibe. It doesn't matter where you're from or whatever. But we're talking about just life and we're podcasters. We love being around people and storytelling. So it's not necessarily about what we look like. But our voices are now saying, oh, this is just normal. You know, this is just it. So it's important to just show that, yeah, people are doing this everywhere. Mm. But now we, it's okay to show it or it's okay to invite it or it's okay to celebrate it. It's nothing to be afraid of. Mm. And it's not token. No. It's, oh, I, it's not gosh. token. It's not, oh, we better get that kind of person in there because yeah. at For least we can quota. tick that box. Oh, my gosh. The you number know? of times these days I'm getting approached for stuff and, I, and my gut just says, hmm, how have you supported me along the way? Or how are you genuinely in love with or passionate about the things that I am versus you just want me to come on 
and say a certain thing cause, or write a certain thing because it looks better. Do you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I, I very quickly can work out, mm-mm, mm-mm. No, thanks. I've already done the token taku stuff. You know, I did a bit of <laughs> stuff in Perth where, yes, I'd come on and, I'd, you know, whatever. But I always felt like that's what people were inviting me to do versus me saying, actually, no, you know what? I want to rock up and be like this. or I want to talk about this. And so, again, switching so that the person you're inviting also has agency in what that collaboration or that event looks like. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Because there's that whole saying, you can't be what you can't see, right? Mm. And but I also think you need to. We need to flip it, and I'm starting to understand that too. That if you can't see it, you got to go be it. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. And and I mean, it's. I mean, obviously, everyone everyone's different, but I have often felt that I was never, I was quite a chubby kid. I was never Oh, you'd have quiet. been a cute chubby kid. I was, oh, I was very adorable, but I was very chubby <laughs> and la- like kind of very opinionated and I loved performing and sort of speaking my mind and, you know, and being out there and saying things. And I often found it really tough at school because people didn't like me very much because that's not what the popular girls do. The popular girls are skinny. The popular girls are blonde. The popular girls, you know, say the right thing and they're not too smart and they Mm -hmm. don't, you know, get out there and put up their hand at the front of the class all the time and have all the answers because they're the not, you know, I got called the teacher's pet or a know-it-all or like a nerd. And so I used to just read my book in the corner all the time. I know. And but now I love that because I love that girl that, and I, uh, like, struggled a lot in high school with self-esteem because I thought I don't fit and I don't see mm. myself reflected. I'm not a Disney princess. Mm. I don't have the waist the size of a pencil. Mm. I'm never going to be like that. And so how could I? I'd always have this narrative in my head when I lose enough weight and I look differently, oh, yeah. then I'll do the things I want to do. Yeah. Then I'll take a risk. Then they'll listen. Yeah, yeah, then I'll get to be the main character in that show instead of like the evil fairy godmother or whatever which what I got cast off and oh, really? you know you Yeah, I know. I mean, it was actually quite fun. I got to wear big lashes and big hair. But I do often think that now it's such an exciting time because we can go, well, rather than waiting for someone to save us or someone to come along and and create the art that we want to see. Mm-hmm. We bloody well just got to roll up our sleeves and get in there, and get right? In there. And that's yeah. the thing. So many people don't even know what it is they want to do. Mm. They don't. They mm. really genuinely don't know deep, deep down what is it that I absolutely get tickled by? What is it that just brings me so much joy? It's the most ridiculous thing. What is it that I just love? so much it's like my secret delight that I you know and honestly some some of those things people don't even know how to express it to their partners um and and to the people around them and that was me for a long time um sort of a time maybe eight years ago so I lived in Perth I was married at the time and I was still trying to figure out some things and I always had to push down the the takuness people tell me you're too happy just settle down just can you just tone down the joy I'm like I can't I can't do it (laughs) and and so that's what I also see and so when I do writing workshops or storytelling workshops I literally say to people we're going to mind map all the things that you love that you're too embarrassed to go out and on the street and tell people you love and the stuff that people write so 
I love pushing those yeah, like, kind of connections yeah, yeah, and, like, and like pushing. What is it? Yeah. Like, what is it that you really are feeling you want to do? And then what is what are those things that are freaking you out about doing it? So coming back to my mother, I was asking her, like, what is it you really want to do? What do you want to do? And, you know, she's still trying to answer that. So for me, that's now my focus is rather than just paying for stuff for her all the time. It's like, no, mama, let's see. What are we working towards? How are we going to get to a point where now you're like, oh, damn it, this is what I want to do. Fuck the world, I'm going. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And once you reach that point, nothing will stop you. Nothing mm-hmm. can stop you. And I found through all this time, all these years of me doing architecture and drawing buildings and whatever, I hated putting the building together, the bricks and the, and the beams. I hated that stuff. But I loved telling you why we needed the building. I, I loved telling you why we need to build the school or that community center. So story for me has always been my thing. And so behind me performing on stage is the writing. And I realize, oh my gosh, I love writing. I love it. I do it and not get paid sometimes. And then I do it and then I get paid heaps. And then it, once I realized that and I realized where I could take it, now I'm just in the sweetest spot, the sweetest spot. And no one can take that away from me. Mm. It's just, it's freedom. It's creative freedom. I feel free. Mm. free oh yeah it's that's so nice but it is it's as simple best. and as hard as it that is. Right? oh gosh it is yeah it's as mm. simple as figuring out what it is you actually want to do yeah and then you can build the steps and the goals to get there but it's re- and not the thing that you want you want to do mm-hmm. you know that you know does that make mm-hmm. sense like mm-hmm. the thing that you think that you should be or that mm-hmm. if only i was x i could do that yeah no, no, no. It's what actually you love doing. Yeah. And that is so much harder to find. And then sitting with the discomfort that comes with then navigating and crystallizing what that is. So when I started my podcast, all I wanted to do was talk about writing until I was tired. That's literally all I wanted to do. And then I did it and it just opened other doors mm-hmm. around community and storytelling and writing and more TV stuff. So for me, it was an unexpected thing that just came out of me going man I just want to talk about writing damn it <laughs> you know and and so to me th- that's what I'm saying is like sometimes you have to just listen to that it feels weird but oh gosh it's the best mm. thing just play around right play play around till you find the magic mm-hmm. you gotta just play around and not be afraid to try stuff and if it doesn't fa- elizabeth gilbert wrote writes in her book big magic which is mm-hmm. fabulous Love i was book yeah mm. oh my god i talk about it all the time on the show one of the things she does is doing a whole lot of other creative things while she's putting off the thing that she actually wants to do but within that baking a cake doing gardening dancing or singing or I don't know whatever it is that you're making or learning pottery or something it sort of frees up your mind to then think on that thing that you really are passionate about and the core of what you want to do but it takes a long time yeah it's getting out there and being brave right Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, and sometimes it's really hard and scary. Yeah, yeah. Glennon Doyle said something. Oh God, I have all these people that I follow that. I it's love. okay. Well, I, I I know every single person. Oh, you've good. Brene Brown and all these people mm-hmm. love it. Um, she said that the woman that you will be becoming when you take risks and step out there will catch you if you mm. fall. Do you mm-hmm. love that? Mm, that is, oh, that is so good. Doesn't that hit you? Yes. You just go. Ugh. 
Because it's yes. that's the fear that you'll get out there on your own and that no one will be there. Yeah. And you'll just fall. Yeah. But that idea that actually you that woman that you're growing into by taking that leap will be there to catch oh, you. I love that. Because yeah. yeah, actually I was thinking about you and how you've set up this podcasting network. I mean, that's not something you just wake up in the morning and go, right, that's it, I'm doing it today, smash, it's done. You know, so I was even curious for you what that's been like, being able to, have you had any fears around that? And then how have you dealt with it? I know you're, you're working with your husband, but mm. yeah, what's that been like? Because yeah. same thing. Yeah, well, I guess so. Oh, this table is turning. Um, yeah, well, because I was a primary school teacher back up until I had my son about three years ago. Um, and I always, I love teaching. I love working with the kids, but I always felt a little bit trapped because I had to be a persona. I couldn't just be myself. I couldn't be unfiltered. I couldn't swear. I couldn't say what I really felt about certain things. I worked in a Catholic school and that came with a whole host of kind of beliefs that exactly Taki's rolling her eyes and I felt the same. And someone, and you know, there's lots of beautiful things about living within a faith community too, that grounds you, that gives you a deeper sort of thought process and philosophy. But I also felt trapped within that and filtered. So I could never have a social media presence. I couldn't communicate my real thoughts and ideas. I was Miss Tonti in inverted commas, mm. who I loved to. I loved that character, but it was mm-hmm. a character because mm-hmm. you can't be yourself completely with kids. You can't walk into a classroom and go, I'm so fucking yeah. tired. Can you, you shut can't, the F up? Yeah, you can't do that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I loved working with kids, but I, I always kind of struggled with that. And I think all my creative energy was going into teaching and also I'm not very good with a whole lot of kind of data and assessment and paperwork I prefer to teach rather than to spend hours and hours marking papers Mm. and then judging kids Mm. on work and comparing kids I just didn't sit with me that well yeah so when I started doing the behind the scenes for like the business with my husband who runs uh, who had his podcast he struggled a lot with fear around creativity for years as well and kind of didn't do anything for a long time and I was always really pushing him because I believed in what he can do but I, he was sort of stuck and then he started making his you know weekly YouTube channel and it grew from there so I was sort of doing that behind the scenes for him so it was a huge leap for me to then actually move from being the support crew, which mm. is what my natural tendency is. I'm the support crew. I'm the teacher, mm. the support crew of the kids, the support crew of him, of my family. Like I lost mm. my dad too about oh, the same sorry. time, yeah. about three years ago, um, three and a half. So sometimes mm. when you lose someone like that who's sort of an anchor, mm. you suddenly go, well, I better, if I'm going to do something, life is short, yeah. get out there and do it. Yeah. So that's, I think I dealt with, yeah, and I still, every day I'm terrified every day you're walking into new situations and you don't know who you're going to meet and you you have ideas and some of them work and some of them fall flat on their face Mm and I mean I've never done anything to do with business before so I'm learning how to run a company learning how to make money out of podcasts and YouTube and negotiating deals with people in America and the UK and learning how to do social media and edit and all kinds of things that I never anticipated doing. It wasn't a plan, you know? So yeah, I'm constantly terrified. Last time I was terrified, I was crying in bed last (laughs) night, just going, oh God, I know what I'm doing. And this is really hard. And, you know, we've started another, a new show and, and it's great, but you just, I mean, now I'm producing podcasts. Who knew that? Is it right? Yeah. (laughs) 
how do you know if it's right? Like, you know, no one's there to tell you. But your gut, your Mm. gut, your gut just tells you it's right. It Mm. just tells you. It tells you. And even that's what I trust. So even with you reaching out to me and, you know, just how we've, you know, paths have sort of crossed, I just went off your vibe. Yes, like, <laughs> me too. I saw so you it's speaking the at the podcast thing. awards. Yeah, so working with kids thing. It's the trying to build something. Not quite sure where it's going. Kind of whoa, what is happening? But I'm just gonna go with it. Kind of yeah. vibe. This is this is it. So this is what I mean. Like you you start just kind of doing those things yourself, and you find your people. They find you, and then it's just like yeah, this is this is yeah, this is life. Because you're in the arena. You know, oh, you're in, you're, in you're, the, in. you're not on the, because it's very easy to be a spectator mm-hmm. and comment and, and give your feedback and say, mm-hmm. I don't like things or I do like things. It's much harder to be in the blood, sweat and tears of the arena yeah. where you can fall down on your ass, but, and p- have to pick yourself back up. Yeah. But it's way more fun here. Oh. It's you the know? bestest. I mean, it's terrifying. But it's, like, <laughs> it's the bestest. Look it at us is. laughing about our fears. I love it. <laughs> I know. That's the way it is. It's awesome. Oh, Taki, this has been such a joy. Oh, I've, same. Oh, I've really same, loved talking same. through all of this. It's so good. Same. I guess I wanted to finish and ask you one last question. Why did you call your company what you've called it? What's the, How do you say that in your language? Chaga. Chaga. Why yeah. did you call it Chaga. Because um, I have a business right now called Taku, so Taku as, mm-hmm. and that was more me as the inspirational speaker, me as the personality, the Taku brand. And when I was looking at forming a production company, it's around screen and audio and about people. And I was really looking for something that wouldn't be about me. And I was looking for something that sounded unique. And I wanted something that would look interesting, but I also wanted something that meant I want to invite people to search for their stories. I want them to search deeper for that magic and the stuff that I'm only starting to discover in myself. And then also for somebody who's out there going, I'm looking for something new or different to listen to or to watch, that then Chaga would be that place or that company that can help you do that. And um, yeah, so even with the two words of Taku podcast and stuff and how I started that was because of being on Instagram. Every so often I would write two words. So today's two words are this. This is where my brain is and it just started getting a lot more likes around this just two words like just keeping things really simple and so again being that beacon of you know just sometimes keep it simple you know and so when I looked at the things that I've been really good at at the moment it's been the podcast and just work working out that world exactly like you're doing but also the navigating the tv stuff and starting to write for screen and so what is the way to pull that all together it's like what are you looking for who are you looking for? Let's look for it. And so, yeah, Chaga felt right. To seek. Yeah, to seek, to look for it, to I explore. It. Yeah. Okay, well, I highly recommend you go and seek out Taku. Oh, listen to you. You're so <laughs> sweet. Yeah. Yes, um, come on over. Come and hang out. Yeah. So you, know? you have your website, which is? Taku.com.au. Perfect. And then I'm on Instagram. I'm on an Instagram break at the moment, which is another way I do the self-care thing. If I need time out to write, I, I go off Instagram. Uh, so I'm at Taku Speaks. And then um, got my podcast, Two Words with Taku. Yeah. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Chloe. Yay, great. Okay. 
You've been listening to a podcast called Just Make the Thing with me, Claire Tonti, and the wonderful Taku Mudi. You can find more about Taku at taku.com.au or on Instagram at Taku Speaks. Uh, she does lots of different things, and I'd highly recommend watching that girl. She's going to make some amazing things and has already so far. Her podcast, Two Words, is also really brilliant. If you'd like to find more podcasts from the Planet Broadcasting Network, like this one, head to planetbroadcasting.com. We're available on iTunes and Spotify and all of those wonderful places as well. And if you could, be your love. We'd really appreciate you rating and reviewing and subscribing to this podcast in iTunes. It really helps our show to be discovered and tell someone about us. Go on. Give it a go. We would love you to share this episode or another one of your favourites out there and um, give us a review. Okay, that's enough plugging. Oh, and excitingly, we have a new podcast, The Millennial Divide, that's just come out this week. Three sisters talking all things millennial tech, um, the decade that was pop culture, current news and events, and just some laughs along the way. So I'd highly recommend heading over and subscribing to their Instagram at The Millennial Divide. I am Claire Tronti at Claire Tonti on Instagram or at Mrs. Sunday Movies on Twitter. So head on over, check us all out and um, get to making. Go on, just make the thing. Who cares if it's terrible? Just get it done. Okay, next week. Bye.